Hello and welcome back to Fintech Mix, the specialist podcast for fintech professionals, where we take a talented person in the industry and delve into their working worlds to see what we can learn. I'm Nat Barker and I'm joined today by a person who I would maybe describe as something of a fintech veteran in the form of Damon Roberts, Director of Digital Banking at TSB. Damon, thanks very much for taking some time out of helping to run one of the UK's biggest banks to speak with me. How are you doing? Where are you speaking from today? I'm speaking from home today. I'm like pretty much everybody else working from home currently, obviously. Uh, and whereabouts in the country is home for you? Uh, it's near Rugby. We live in a little hamlet 10 miles outside of Rugby. Oh, very nice. Now, most people, Damien, obviously will have, will have heard of, of TSB. They're kind of one of the more um, well-known organisations that we're having guests from on the podcast. What exactly do you oversee in your role as uh, Director of Digital Banking? It's digital banking, which to us is the digital app, online and telephony. It's also open banking from an engineering design and run perspective. Okay, uh, Damon, I mentioned in my introduction that you're a fintech veteran. I hope you don't mind me saying that. I actually did a little bit of research before we started recording. And based on Google's analysis of books in its database, use of the noun fintech was virtually non-existent before around 2007. But from looking at your LinkedIn, I can see that you're working in what a lot of people would probably recognize as fintech sometime before that. Do you consider yourself to be a sort of fintech veteran? I've never thought of it in that sort of parlance, if you like. I've been doing technology change for banks for nearly 25 years. So was it financial and was it technology? Yes, it was. So maybe I am a veteran. So I don't know. I never looked at it in that way. My first real digital project, if you like, if digital is a phrase, was online banking at one of the big fours. And that was 15 years ago. So maybe, maybe yes, I am a veteran if you, if you use those terms. Well, I mean, it's, it's quite the accolade, really, when you think about it, that you can claim that you've worked in fintechs at, since before fintech was really a word. I just wondered if you could uh, tell us a little bit about your career and, and how you came to be. If you go way back when, I worked at IBM. My first proper job was a system admin for a Unix. That's where I learned my trade, really. I think on day one, they said to all the young grads who were in that team, go build yourself a Unix workstation and, and work out how that works. And, and none of us have ever, ever done it before. And we went from that in quite quick progress to being lead technicians. I, I moved to clustering. I was an Oracle DBA, I was a SAP basis administrator, and IBM is very good in terms of exposing people to hardware and, and software and, and, and training them. The training was like nothing I've ever received since, to be honest. And so that gives you a real kind of kickstart to your career. I then moved to Accenture, where I did larger scale technology integration programs. I was somewhat of a turnaround specialist for programs in special measures, large-scale replatforms and migrations. I worked on, I was a program director for Lloyd's, 30 million migration accounts migrated for core banking. I've done credit card migrations, merchant acquiring replatforms. One of them I worked on was handles one-third of the UK's card payments every day. And I, I've been in consultancy a lot of the time, using, gaining that experience, working with all of the big four banks, some of the smaller ones as well. I think one of the most fun engagements was working for what I would call a proper fintech bank. You know, we were staring at a blank piece of paper and working out what we would do next. When an ex-colleague and friend of mine called me up and says, do you want to come work at a startup? 
bank and, and we need to create some a lending proposition to fulfill their building society model of savings and lending and, uh, and I went and did that for nearly 14 15 months and that was probably a that was a lot of fun working in that environment but all of the experience up to date kind of enabled me to be able to do that do you think that you know having worked for and with organizations of varying size do you think there's any difference in approach between little and large when it comes to tech and technology innovation and that sort of thing i think larger organizations have a bigger legacy and that's that's inevitable because they've been around for longer and they've done more stuff and you know they have more of a history what i would say is the smaller organizations have sometimes no legacy or a smaller legacy but it doesn't take much to build a legacy quite quickly what you did three, four years ago becomes out of date and then you go do the next thing. I think the key to it is cleaning up behind yourself. So if you then go do a similar thing differently because technology or, or business or customer needs have moved on, don't just leave the old thing behind. Move to it, migrate across to it, to your new platform rather than have two platforms doing the same thing. A lot of the banks I've worked with where we've done migrations, you go, what, what's the business case for migration? Actually, sometimes you can't make the numbers stack up. But you, you know having two core banking pro, uh, platforms or two credit card platforms is a bad idea. It's twice as much work and, and it's not optimal way of doing things. So that's why a lot of the banks, when they merge or, or they buy subsidiaries or whatever they do, it's always good to be onto one platform, make sure that's the right platform. Can you talk me through sort of your average day at the moment? Is there anything you're focusing on particular in particular at the moment? Any problems you're trying to solve at the moment? I mean, you've always got the next challenge. We, we've got a new team. We're building capability and we're ramping up a new operating model at quite significant pace. And, you know, when you do that kind of thing, you always have growing pains. Nothing insurmountable and actually not less than expected and what I've experienced in the past. But... You know, there's the, the challenge with growing the capability. But if you've been in consultancy, you're, you're kind of familiar with that kind of challenge because you're always starting a new thing, building a new team and ramping it up so that it's kind of working at pace quite quickly. So really it's growing the team and, and building out our capability and increasing the cadence of our delivery, the main challenges. Do you feel that the rise of these kind of new fintech players, people like Monzo and Starling and Revolut have caused bigger banks to sort of rethink the way they do business and the way that they operate in any way? Probably not as much as they should. Okay. I That's interesting. Can you unpack that a little bit? I can. I think if you look at someone like Starling, they've got a fantastic business model, which is very stable. One of the one of the fintech banks or startup banks as a or neo banks as all sorts of terms, you actually have a very clear business model. And I believe Anne Bowden said this year they will be in profit. And you can actually see how they can do that. Some of the others, it's difficult to understand how they start making money. And it's a business, so it has to make money. It has to break even at least, but ideally make a profit. And if if something someone like Stalin can make a profit in what is what, five, six years of trading from nothing and actually building market share each and every month, you've you got to look at that because these neobanks now have millions of customers and some of 
And people dismiss it and say, oh, yeah, but it's not, they're not primary bank accounts and, and this, that, and the next thing. Well, it's not true, is it? Because Starling, for example, people are using it as a primary bank account. Atom Bank have billions of mortgage lending and they are startups. So why would you not be paying more attention to how those people have done that, what they're giving to customers, which the incumbents are not, and adapting accordingly? How do you think that that might affect the way we do banking in future? If that makes sense, you do you th- do you think that, that there's an an onus on the kind of more well established names in the banking sector to be a little bit more uh, agile? Agile is a bit of a kind of I don't know whether agile is the term because it means a lot of things to a lot of people, not necessarily the same. I think if a small startup is growing at a very high rate, you have to take notice as to why that is. What are they doing differently to what you're doing? There's a huge inertia, especially if you take current accounts. You know, current account switching service hasn't really had the impact people expected it to in terms of moving people around and, and away from their legacy bank. And, and there's a, people just don't see the need to switch. A lot of the established players, the, the, the offerings are similar. It's very difficult to differentiate yourself on a current account and, and that's on a product basis, but some of the neobanks or starter banks, whichever term you use, are enabling people to do things in a lot easier way. They're giving customers things which the incumbents are not yet giving, and people are using them. So you need to be, you know, it's competition, and you might say it's a small competition, but, you know, Amazon was a small bookshop once. Um, mm. Google wasn't even a thing. So they were all small startups at some point, and look at them now. Do you see banks like TSB thinking about how they can innovate and how they can work in a way to sort of differentiate themselves from, you know, other names on the high street to kind of try and, you know, respond to some of these sort of changes in the market, as it were? I think everybody's looking at it. It doesn't have to be a specific thing. The question becomes who who is actually achieving it. I read an article over the weekend about setting up a joint account and a mother and a daughter wanted to set up a joint account and they looked at some of the established players and you had to go into a branch and do this that and the next thing they figured out they both had starling accounts and actually they could link the accounts very straightforwardly using the app and by the phones being in close proximity to one another and they just set it up that way that's not something any of the other banks offer even any of the other neos in And I think the key to this is make, understand what customers want to do and make it as easy as possible. You don't, what you don't want to do is have, you know, a NASA type dashboard in the app so that you can do everything and it's very complex. Mm. But what you do need to do is have a, a, a mechanism for the things which are not in the app and everyone is tending towards an app at the moment so that they can get things done another way or very simply. And there's various ways you can do that. But it's about understanding what customers want, listening to them and making it as simple as possible, mm, mm. but also secure. It has to be secure. And there's always a trade-off between ease of use and secure, security of use. There's always, you have the security people and the customer experience people, and they're always kind of battling with one another. There's a professional friction there to make it so but if you look at the apps that customers like, they're new and they're easy to use. It's almost like 
the functionality in the back end is just the same as any other bank, but they've presented it in a very easy to use way. And that's really important because if you're going to push people towards digital and people are, there's a, there's a take up, there's a pull, people are pulling digital into their homes, but banks are also trying to push people into digital because it's easier, cheaper to serve, etc. You have to make it so that it's easy to use for people who are not, you know, wouldn't say that they are technically savvy, but they can use apps, right? They use eBay and Amazon, okay, so why can't they use a banking app? And, and how do you make the challenges? How do you make it as kind of everyday as those other kind of apps that people use? I just want to pick up on something you touched on there, which is kind of tug of war almost between, you know, security and user experience and that sort of thing. I wondered whether you think there's a kind of debate to be had within the banking sector about the level of data that banks hold about their users and you know there's an argument that the more your bank knows about you it, the better geared it is to kind of serve your needs and and you know give you the products that you need and the products that you want at the same time there's obviously you know controversies that mostly sort of social media companies have, have had to deal with about you know the level of information that institutions record about people but also that kind of security risk you know the more the more data you hold about somebody you know the more of a target you are to hackers or cyber attackers do you think there's a, a debate there and sort of where do you where do you sit in that debate it's as if you can break that down there's people are always targeting banks because there's money there mm -hmm. so fraudsters will always try and find a way into a bank to get the money and if they can do that by getting to customer data, they'll do that also. A bank has always got to be secure because they're securing deposits and people's money. You have a legal obligation under GDPR to use the data that customers have given you and to protect that data for the customers because it's not your data, it's their data. So there's a legal obligation as, as well as a moral one. I think the key to how you use that data, it's down to what the customer consents you to do with it. But they may consent you to do more things with it if they trust you better. Because if they can see that it's genuinely in their interest to share data with you, and it's true, the more you know about a customer, the more you can help them, then that that relationship then is self-perpetuating because the more the more you trust me, the more you help me, it almost builds that relationship. But the customer has to consent to it in the first place and see that there's a value in it. It's a bit of a two-way process, but you know, if customers do trust banks, banks can genuinely help them. And, you know, it's, it's about helping customers because, yes, of course, a bank is a business and they would like to make money. The best way to do that is doing the right thing by your customer. If I were to push you, would you make any, what predictions would you make about the way that how we bank and access our money might change in future? I think companies which are not, necessarily banks today but are trusted by consumers have an opportunity that they might want to undertake maybe facebook is a bad example given the recent kind of security um, news but someone like google for instance uh, are brilliant at data analytics and are a trusted brand it wouldn't take them much to set up a bank mm. if a startup with very low levels of funding can do it Imagine what someone like Google could do with the resources that they have, if that's what they wish to do. And I think the fintech world will challenge the traditional thing, thinkers and keep nibbling away at some of their services, particularly in payments. I think 
people using Apple Pay and Google Pay and not having plastics and using peer-to-peer -peer payments and other ways of moving their money around will start nibbling away at what payments is the heart of a bank. But what you see is a lot of vendors out there and suppliers nibbling away at payments and actually kind of taking that away from needing a bank to make a payment. You don't actually really, you know, have to intermediate between a between yourself and a bank to pay somebody else. I could pay you directly right now, Felix, if I wanted to. I wouldn't have to bother with a bank. So I think there's a lot of threats there. And I think people will, will move towards trusting digital more than they will do. And I think one of the drivers has been the pandemic. You know, you see, I use my parents who are retired. They're using all sorts of apps now to do things that they would never even dreamed of doing it before. Grocery deliveries, payments, online banking, all of the things they never used before. They, they say to me, why did you never show this to me? And it's because you were never, you were never open to trying it because you didn't see a need. But now you have, you wouldn't go back. Mm. So I think there's a few market kind of forces there, a few kind of, the pandemic has kind of pushed the initiative and the fact that, you know, there's startups all over the place, especially in open banking, who are as powerful as the big banks because, you know, all the APIs are available to everybody and you can do what you want with them. That will fundamentally change the way our relationships with banks and that, and that for the bigger banks is, is a risk that they need to kind of face into. Is there anyone in the fintech world that you especially admire? I think what Anne Bowden has done is remarkable. I think starting from nothing and, and being, you know, forecasting profitability in such a short period of time is brilliant and it proves that it can be done. I think Atom Bank have done a great job of being profitable as well. They've taken a very simple model, building society, savings and lending model, and digitized it. I think with the same software, more established banks haven't done it in the way that they've done it. I quite like Zigloo, actually, Mark Kipperson's outfit, doing Bitcoin trading. Mm -hmm. It's very innovative and incredibly popular. You know, that's come from literally an idea a couple of years ago to to being an fca regulated entity i admire any anybody who's entrepreneurial enough to start up a bank and some kind of financial services organization and make it happen but i particularly admire ones that are in profit in such a short period of time because that's incredibly difficult and just lastly what advice would you give to somebody possibly at the start of their career who is interested in getting into fintech depends you I wouldn't necessarily advise someone to get into fintech. I would think about what you really enjoy doing. Think about who might pay you to do it and think about whether you're any good at it as well. And if you get those three things together and that equals fintech, then that's that's a good place, right? And if you want to get into fintech, there's there's you know there's the obvious ways which are you know, come from an application development background, be a software engineer, cloud, most of these things, clear banking, you know, Atom and all of those guys are all in the clouds, knowing about clouds and getting some kind of cloud infrastructure knowledge would be great. And just go for it. So that's what you want to do. Just make sure you're making the right choices to kind of give you the right skills and just approach people. Why wouldn't you email the CEO if that's what you want to go do? You can find out who runs these companies. They are ultra receptive to kind of talented 
young people trying to find their way in the world, and they'll probably give you a shot. When I was at Atom Bank, you know, the, the average age was much lower than what I was used to because it was all about the energy and the enthusiasm over anything else, which is quite interesting. But, but don't discount the bigger banks because if, they know, if somebody knows technology, they can run a bank the size of, say, the big four. They know a thing or two about technology. There's plenty to be learned there. You know, starting your career in a big bank and going through the technology functions is a fantastic foundation for anybody. You don't have to just focus on fintechs. You just need to get your foot in the door, get an understanding of the technology, get an understanding of the industry. And then from there, you can kind of work your way to where you want to be. Because fintechs are very hard work. <laughs> there are a whole load of fun to work in. There's less people to do the work. There's less money to do the work. You're relying upon yourself quite a lot. Some of the things which you delegate to teams, you have no team, it's you. So it's a different dynamic. So, you know, go in with your eyes open, but it's a, a fantastic opportunity as well. Just to round off, I'm going to ask you some quick fire questions, if I may, <laughs> of varying sure. daftness. So bear with me. To start off with, what is your ideal day off? I have a young family, so I, I thought about this yesterday, and it's basically we, we're surrounded by countryside, so it'd be uh, a nice country walk with the dog, spending some time with the family, playing outdoors, maybe a game of football with my son. And my daughter's a lot younger, so playing, going to the playground with my daughter and, and being with my wife, that would be my ideal day off. They'd have to have a day off too, obviously. Is there anything that you've got into over the past year that you weren't previously interested in? I started horse riding again. Okay. Because I, I used to do it quite a lot when I was younger. But in terms of getting some fresh air and, and doing something a bit different outside the house, an opportunity came up with a friend of mine who's got more horses than she can exercise on her own. So I, I valiantly offered to assist her <laughs> more into horse riding than I used to be. Okay. Okay. Well, a bit of context for listeners with this one. So we're speaking around the middle of April. And so Damon, what are you looking forward to more? Being able to go to the theatre or being able to go to a gig or uh, something else entirely? Quite fancy going to the ballet, actually. Okay. <laughs> Which probably wasn't the answer you were expecting. It kind of falls in the middle. Yeah. So, yeah. My wife and I are friends of the Covent Garden, so we go to the ballet and the opera. Okay. Here's one. If you were on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, what would be your nightmare challenge? Something involving snakes. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Not good. Yeah. And finally, in a zombie film, how long do you think you would last? Difficult to say. I'd like to think I'd last to the end. Okay, well, good. I'm a bit of a fighter, so let's see. Damon, thank you very much for joining us. And thank you, dear listener, as always. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss further episodes of Fintech Mix. We've got more great guests lined up. Fintech Mix is a podcast from Say Hello to Audio. To find out more, visit fintechmix.com. Thank you.